Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to The Unlocked Athlete. I'm David Ventry and my co-host is Billy Neal. Each week we will bring you an inspiring discussion, sometimes with a guest and sometimes without, about how to elevate your game using the power of thought. So wherever you are on your journey, we thank you for joining us and let the unlocking of the mind begin. First of all, thank you for joining us. And uh, we found you online and just have kind of been following along. Um, yeah. We, we know what space you're in and kind of what you're up to, but we would love to at least hear more about you and then just sort of how you got started and, and developed the, the care that you have for what you're doing. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, I love the fact that we can connect through social media and Instagram and things like that nowadays. It's really a cool thing. And I've met so many amazing people that way. So I'm really glad to be connected with you both. Um, So to start, where does one start (laughs) with describing (laughs) these things, right? It's really crazy. Um, I was a swimmer. I'll start there. I was a swimmer. I swam um, from eight to 22. So I swam through college and it was my life. It was my entire life. I loved it so, so much. Um, but I loved it until the day I didn't love it anymore. And that was, that happened sometime in college. I can't pinpoint exactly when, um, faced a lot of challenges in college swimming and college life in general. And it just led me to lose that love, but at the same time, wasn't, you know, ready to leave it entirely. I just wanted to push through and keep going, um, hoping that maybe that love would come back. And it didn't, (laughs) I'll tell you that, I'll tell you that right now, but I still pushed through it through to the end. And it was the end that, um, you know, the moment I touched the wall of my last 100 butterfly, I just felt like a piece of me truly died and left my body. It was really visceral. It was really intense. It was something I'd never really experienced before, um, didn't expect it to happen, didn't know that something like that could happen. But um, I just felt it all the way in my core that it was over. And at that point in my life, anyways, it was over to the extent to which I would never compete again in it. Um, Because I don't swim anymore, (laughs) I will say. I do not swim anymore. (laughs) Definitely not inside. Definitely not inside. Maybe if I'm outside with the sun shining on me, that's fine. But I live in Philadelphia and we we don't really have many outdoor pools here. Um, So from there, I wanted nothing to do with swimming for a while. I didn't really want anything to do with being an athlete for a while. Um, Definitely couldn't look at a pool for several months. Uh, And in time... I felt that pull, felt like something was missing, felt like being connected in the way that athletes typically are connected was missing. And from there, I started looking into sports psychology, um, which was exciting because I've always loved psychology. I've loved it. I've loved loved understanding people, um, like what we're doing right now. I just love it. I love talking and, and sharing these things with each other to get to know what makes people tick, basically. Um, And and once I started doing that, I I did end up going to Temple University in Philadelphia for my PhD in exercise and sports psychology. And I ended up studying the transition. I didn't think I could because I felt like it was really personal. 
Um, but then I realized that was exactly why I wanted to and why I felt like I had to because I, of my experience. I wanted to support other athletes as they moved through something similar or just their own experience of life after sport. And so that, I would say, is the condensed version of what has led me here to be able to do just that, to s- support athletes, um, current and former, but mostly at this point, former athletes in whatever their life after sport throws them. That's, that's, that's awesome. really great. Yeah. I was going to, one of my questions that I had lined up was, you know, why you chose to serve athletes who have mm-hmm. stopped playing in particular, but it sounds like you do a little bit of both um, with current yeah. athletes and, and former. Is there a common thread that you see? Um, because I know, like I, I played, I played basketball. And okay. one of the things mm-hmm. that I saw was that a lot of my teammates, once they stopped, um, they, went through a little like not a little some of them went through a big like depression stage is that Mm -hmm. something that you see I mean pretty common with the athletes that you work with sure so I I definitely do see it I will say so um my degree isn't clinical so you know typically I will work with people who may have some levels of depression but never to a clinical state, I guess, or stage. Um, But I still see it. And I saw it in myself, for sure. And I definitely see it across the board. In my opinion, it's definitely coming from this, this place of loss, right, this Mm -hmm. loss, and so many people are grieving, and they don't often realize that they're grieving. Um, But it is a loss. You know, it, like I said, for me, it really did feel like a death, um, which is intense, like that is a big loss. And so I think that's part of what may be going on for a lot of people, and especially because they aren't necessarily recognizing or acknowledging it as a loss or grief, that it can create um, something like, you know, you know, manifestation of depression or, uh, you know, depressed mood and things like that, or anxiety comes up a lot, because it's a change. It's different. It's new. And that can be really scary. So yeah. those are some of the common things I see, whether it's, and there's no timeline for any of this, but um, it can be right away, or it also might not be for a while, you know, down the line, because often we just push it away. And then mm. one day, it'll come back up, whether you want it to or not. So my advice is to not push it away, because it's going to come <laughs> up, I promise yeah. you that. Absolutely. <laughs> Is you say so when Madeline, when you said at, at Temple you you stu- decided to study it, was it actually something that was covered in a course, or was that just the path that you took and decided to go deeper down? Sure, yeah. So that ended up being my dissertation topic. Okay. Um, so uh, the the couple themes with my dissertation was athletic identity. Um, so again, that th- that's what people will often feel that loss around the sport itself. Absolutely. But it's also this identity change and loss. Um, so that was the first thing that really grabbed my interest was the athletic identity. Mm-hmm. And then also um, uh, one of my studies I did before my dissertation had to do with the change in physical activity. So that's pretty, pretty big one, you know, pretty big change or difference is going from two, three, four hours of practice a day to having to do that on your own um, to find other ways to motivate yourself or to be um, 
you know, to, to find something engaging they actually really enjoy in the same way mm. or to the same extent to which you enjoyed your sport. Um, so that was one of the studies as well. And then it final, finally ended with my dissertation looking at well, what are the resources that would be helpful and supportive for athletes? Uh, what, looking back, you know, hindsight is always 2020. Um, looking back, <laughs> what would have helped? What, would, what did you feel like you were losing and what might have helped? Um, and how can we you know, create some of those resources or offer them for our athletes who are transitioning Again, at whatever stage, that was the the main focus of my dissertation. Yeah, that's I, you know I just my personal experience with from from leaving uh, sport. I, I I went through college playing soccer. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely you know I this information I don't feel like was as available as, as it is now. Um, sure. And I guess what do you think is it is it still underrepresented as far as from support out there for it? Is that part of the reason why you you also kind of you know, went down that path was because you felt that there wasn't a lot of information or, or coaches for support in this area? Yeah, I do feel that way. You know, of, of course, in comparison to, you know, 50 years ago, there's definitely more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in all honesty, I, I don't think people really think about that change, that loss when they're so far in it right? Or so deep in it, as in when you're competing, especially same with coaches, like coaches are in it, in the moment with competing athletes. And that's fine. That's fair. Um, But I realized that we don't often think about some of the challenges that come with life after sport, until we feel that gap. Like we really have to feel a gap, that separation. And that's when those things start popping up, or you become more aware of them. Um, And for a lot of coaches, this was such a cool insight that I made. I forget when it was, but when I recognized this, I'm like, huh, this makes total sense. A lot of coaches go straight from competing into coaching. Mm, So for a number of them, they don't actually ever feel that gap. And it's not to say that's a good thing or a not so good thing. It's just the, the fact. They don't truly feel a gap or a separation from from sport itself, from being an athlete. So it's just a shift mm-hmm. in identity, you know, from athlete to coach, but not big of enough of a gap to be like, oh, wow, there are some serious, serious challenges here that we should consider and we should find ways to support our athletes in. Um, so I do think it is a challenge to, to help people recognize that when at the same time, their job as coaches, even as admin, is to support athletes through their athletic experience. But if we stop and think about it, we're also, you know, supporting human beings. And that is why I do what I do, because the human is the longest relationship that person will ever have is with themselves, right? The human, not mm-hmm. the athlete, the human. Right. And so I... My intention, and I hope I'm doing um, doing that right now, is to really support the person behind the uniform. Wow, gotcha. no, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Great mission. Could you could you talk about you know your process of you know the human design roadmap and a little bit more into kind of the nitty gritty of how you help these athletes? Sure. Um, 
So I, in my business, I do a lot of things very intuitively. I bring in intuition pretty heavily. And that is, you know, the intuition or helping build intuition of the people I'm working with, you know, really being able to listen to mm. your quote unquote gut, I guess, is one yep. way, the simplest way to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the gut, but that's just the, the classic line, right? Um, but also for myself, I've, I've built my own intuition. I've been able to really learn how to be grounded in working with people so much so that I can tune in to truly what the person in front of me needs. Um, and so when it comes to my programs, so my main program is the MindWise Method, which is a six-month mentorship program um, for former athletes. And I have, I, I've tried a bunch of different things, including starting with, let me come up with some structure for this program. And over time, I've kind of thrown that out the window, <laughs> to, to put it lightly, because I truly have always loved and appreciated the individual differences of every human I've ever encountered, mm-hmm. which is what's super cool, also can be a little complicated when you consider the ways that all of us can be so different and unique. Um, But that's why my intuition is really important for this work so that I can tune in and understand, well, what, what do they need? Is it a particular um, breathing exercise? Is it a specific type of meditation today? Is it to just talk and to just get things out? Is it to do a journaling prompt today? Um, Or sometimes is it to not meet today? because they need to do something else that will be more supportive for them. And that works too. So those are some ways that I really have to um, listen to my intuition and the intuition of my client uh, in terms of the program. And then I bring in this, I love that you brought it up. I bring in this tool called human design that Mm -hmm. I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite things to share with people. And the easiest way I talk about it uh, to start is it's very similar to like doing a personality type test, I guess, but personality tests are a bit more self-report, which again is fine. But this human design is based on a combination of more holistic practices, but including physics. Do not ask me how I did get a C in (laughs) physics in high school. So I don't know. I am not sure. But for anybody out there, if you got to see in anything, just so you know, you can still go on and do whatever the heck you want in your life. It's fine. Hell yeah. It's okay. It's all right. Um, but one thing I don't totally understand is physics. So, but it is a combination of some type of physics. And then also you have things like um, astrology is thrown in there and the chakra system um, and the I Ching, which is an ancient Chinese text. And the the tree of life, which is a Hebrew text um, or practice. And so it brings all these different holistic modalities together to help, um, or not help necessarily, but bring awareness to different ways that you are designed to show up and use your energy in the world, how you might be designed to make decisions. Because fun fact, even though we're told to think it through and use your head, the majority of human beings are not actually designed to use the mind right. to make decisions. <laughs> yeah. So that's a fun one to get some people to, to understand, myself included. Um, but those are just a couple examples of things that might come through 
when I share human design with people. It's a self-awareness tool at its simplest. Um, and it just, it helps you to truly dive deep into understanding your truest self. No, I really, I thank you for sharing that and explaining it. Yeah. Because I, I saw it and it, it was really intriguing to me because I, I think that you'll agree with this, but one of the biggest challenges in coaching is overcoming those aspects of goal achievement, um, our performance, mm -hmm. how we make decisions like you, you mentioned, um, and things that are seemingly out of our control um, mm -hmm. and having the awareness that they're not. And, you know, everybody's different, right, on how we learn those things. So anyways, yes. I, I saw that. And I was just really interested in how, you know, you put that together and, and how you apply yeah. it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I love it. <clears throat> And the metal, the flexibility side, though, I, I think is is huge too. Because mm -hmm. how does everyone fit into the same, you know, strategy or, or cookie cutter type of approach? It just it just doesn't work. So mm -hmm. the fact that you're able to lean into intuition and sort of you know customize for each person based on their needs and and what they're telling you, mm -hmm. what you're hearing, it's, it's huge. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I, you know, I think let's bringing bringing coaching back in for a second. I think that can be definitely a challenge on one hand for, um, for some purposes, especially big teams, for example, you know, there are, you are bringing all these different unique human beings together mm -hmm. in one space and still having to find a way to, um, you know, provide practices and, and training sessions and insight and all the things, right. That, uh, coaching involves for that group as a whole. Um, and yet no matter what we do, it's still the individuals that make up the whole, right? And so, you know, offering, um, being able to offer certain things, I'm not saying every coach should do something like human design necessarily, right? But right. finding ways to even just on small levels for a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there to connect on a human to human level with each athlete. It doesn't have to be hours on end because I recognize that's not always going to be possible, but little ways of connecting personally and one-to-one -one is going to be so valuable when it comes to current athletes and their overall experience. We all want to feel connected. We all want to be seen and heard. Um, and, and it's helpful for a coach too, to have those connections because coaches are included in that as well. Yeah, wanting to be connected and to be seen yeah. and to be heard. Right. Yeah. So that's definitely something I would recommend for coaches is to find a way that works for them to connect and to understand even just a little bit more than they did the minute before about that individual. No, that's really good. And I, I really love um, the authenticity of your post. Like, mm. uh, you know, you're, if you guys, everybody that's listening, you know, you're, uh, Instagram follows, you know, at a mind wise mentor. So you can definitely go check mm -hmm. it out, but it, you have some, you're really authentic. Right. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if you could share a little bit about how athletes could benefit from being real and authentic with ourselves and maybe kind of go into sometimes we're overly critical. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and just really like, man, this is the worst. I, I failed. I did this, that, and the other, but being, able to be vulnerable with ourselves. Could you maybe talk on that for a little bit? Yeah. First of all, I appreciate you saying that about my posts because that is super important to me. That's a very, yeah. something I hold um, 
really close to my heart because you know it's what I want to help others mm-hmm. become as well, right? Is authentically themselves, whatever that means. Um, and I will say, I I think it tends to be a challenge. I was going to say that's hard to do yeah, on social media to put that because some of the stuff you put up totally. there is really vulnerable. So that's why it caught my eye. Yeah. And so to one extent, you know, for me, that is authentic. Whereas for the next person, it may also not be right. Because for some people, we may not always want to share those things. So good. That's fine, too. Right. That's so that's the point is um, about taking the opportunity to do some self-reflection and look a little bit deeper or look at yourself in the mirror and understand what makes you you. How do you want to express things or share things, whether it comes to social media or just from person to person, right, in your relationships, things like that. Um, and then also in your sport. And, and when I look back, um, whether it's for myself or just, you know, observing the current athletes I work with, um, I recognize it can be extra challenging to be your authentic self in sport because there's a lot of aspects of sport culture in general Mm -hmm. that try to force us not to be. Yeah. Right. So um, I talk about it a lot. I myself am a highly sensitive person. Uh, I'm very, I'm a very deep human being. I feel things on a really deep level, whether that's emotion, but also sometimes just, you know, stimulation by if there's like bright lights somewhere, oh, you best believe I'm not going to want to be there for very long, not going to lie. Um, so things like that are really loud music that I just don't like or doesn't feel good to me. I just, that's going to affect me in a pretty negative way. Whereas loud music that I love, I actually love to be involved in things like that. And so I've had to kind of figure out for myself what uh, what feels good, what gives me energy And then what I need to do to recharge that, which is typically be alone. So I'm also introverted. (laughs) I like to be alone to recharge. Um, And then let's say you take an introverted athlete. Athletes have to be with each other all the time. All the time. There, you know, there's sometimes, sure, you get to go home and maybe close your door, but sometimes you have a roommate and those people are not by themselves ever. Um, And so what can happen in an example like that is that you just become so burnt out simply because you don't have an opportunity to be alone because of your experience as an athlete. So that's, again, that's just for the, those introverted athletes out there, but um, there's definitely some challenges. There's also things like pain, you know, push through pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be the most authentic thing for a lot of people. I don't do it anymore. I'm going to tell you that right now. I do not push through pain. No, thank you. That is not for me. It is for some people, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay if it's what works for somebody. They want to do that, okay. But is it coming from a place of what you really want, or is it coming from a place of what you've been conditioned to believe is the right thing to do? So that is what I help people try to separate, is their conditioned beliefs, and then their true self-beliefs, as I like to call them. I totally forget what the question was, but I think I was answering most of it. <laughs> no, you, 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 yeah. no, you nailed it. It was really like, how can how can athletes show up and be their most authentic self? And yes. how can they use that? <laughs> Instead of looking at that as like a crutch or like, you know, I have to hide my 
you know, my identity or my belief. Because let's be honest, like what mm-hmm. you said about pushing through pain, not everybody's David Goggins, right? Like we're not going to get up and run. <laughs> Assume, <laughs> assuming you know David Goggins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's just the, like one of those things. We're not like that. So no, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So again, I think the um, the biggest challenge with that is is when you are a current athlete. Uh, unfortunately, there's just a lot of things that you don't really have a choice around if we stop and think about it, right? Like you're technically choosing to compete. Yes. Then again, for some people, it's not a 100% choice, right? For whatever reason, we all have different life experiences. Um, and sometimes it's an absolute necessity, you know, for, for whatever. Um, and so it's a privilege to be able to say it's just a choice is what I was trying to get at. Um, but really, you know, there's, there's just finding the balance, finding the balance between um, doing the things you have to do as an athlete. Another thing that I absolutely despised was how early I had to get up in college for swimming, which I do not do anymore. That is not a choice I make anymore. I will not get up at 530 and jump in a cold pool for the rest of my life. Not happening. Um, But I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. But I did have a choice to, you know, go back eventually at some point, close the door and take a nap because I needed to take care of myself in certain ways. Um, And so, again, like finding the right balance is super important, making certain things a priority because, you know, well, okay, I'm choosing on one hand to be an athlete. Yes. But I also know I have to do certain things a certain way. All right. So let me make sure I'm prioritizing my well-being outside of that and doing the things that do make me feel really good that are total yeses. That's the way I like to think about it. What are the things Mm -hmm. that are yeses for me that have nothing to do with my sport? And can I prioritize them even just for a couple minutes each day? And that can, over time, help to really balance out some of the things that or possibly knows, right? It's like, a, that's a, the way of a 530 is a no for me, but I know I have to do it. Okay. So let me do something on this side of things. That's a yes. And we'll eventually in time find balance. So that's one of the things gotcha. I help our current athletes with a lot is uh, instead of realize or with burnout, we're told just say no to everything. It's like, okay, but you're a current athlete. You can't say no. You yeah. can't, right? You can't. Yeah. So that, that, ma- that makes no sense to tell people that but what you can do is say yes to the things outside of your sport that feel good to you absolutely no that's great absolutely uh great great insights thank you um Mm -hmm. so i know we had mentioned that we we wanted to have at least cover one topic today um Mm -hmm. and so the topic is is you either have it or you don't and Mm -hmm. The way this came about was actually Billy had thrown out a question to a group of parents that have athletes. Um, their kids are athletes. And one of the parents said in regards to the mental side of things, they're like, well, you either have it or you don't. Mm. Um, so we just thought that'd be a, a cool thing to cover here. Is what are your thoughts on that statement? Where do you go with it? Sure. I do not think that we either have it or we don't when it comes to the mental side of anything, because the skills that I teach current athletes or people in life after sport are 
mental and emotional skills, but they're also life skills. They're skills that can be learned. Mm-hmm. They are skills that can be practiced. And so just like the physical side of sport that you go to practice every day, you show up, you don't just go through the motions, hopefully you do things, you know, <laughs> from a from a place of presence and and really uh, lean in to those physical skills. You can do the exact same thing with your mental skills. And so some of the the bigger um, tools or things that come from these tools would be confidence, for example, that can, and I, I'll, I'll sidebar that in a second, because it, it's something that we can mm-hmm. build upon, but it's not, may not be in the way that, that you've heard before. So I'll go back to that one in a second. But confidence is big. Um, motivation is something that we can really build as well. Uh, and then performance anxiety is something we can work with. Like we aren't, we aren't just stuck with certain things, like just because we may be predisposed to something or we just have an experience of whether it's performance anxiety or not feeling confident or um, focus, focus is even something we can practice, Mm -hmm. right? Like focus and concentration, we can really practice that as well. Um, So overall, short answer is, I believe that you can build these skills. It's not either you have it or you don't. Absolutely. We will. And like, we, we agree. And, and that's one of the things that we coach is that, you know, you can build a toolbox for anyone and, and really it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's unfortunate and it just, it's a real thing. And that's actually what makes us all relevant too, is that you have parents that learned it from probably their parents and you can keep going down that line, yeah. but that's getting passed to their, to their kids now. And unfortunately, right. if they don't come by this material, um, that could stop everything for them. It's mm-hmm. just someone telling them that they don't have it, especially someone that they look up to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And, yeah, and, for reference, that was a uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead, Billy. For no, reference, no, go. that the guy that said that in the group was a high school athletic director. <laughs> so mm. it's like he is the okay. leader, leader of leaders. So it, it does have that yeah. trickle down effect of where you know people of influence, especially in a young athlete's life, can really set them mm-hmm. on the wrong track so totally in, in metal i know you said you talked about sidebar and confidence and i i don't want to take yeah. you in a different direction than what you were going to talk about with confidence but we definitely saw and found it super important how you had pointed out and i think it was in a post and somewhere else that mm-hmm. confidence being tied to to a performance is really mm-hmm. it's not great so but go go, yeah. go i don't know if that was kind of what you were going to cover but i would love mm-hmm. to hear it Yes, it totally is. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm glad that you saw that post. Um, Yeah. So something like confidence, which, and by the way, before I keep going, I actually have one quick question. I'm wondering if this person, this athletic director said exactly, like exactly what they meant by like, what, what piece are we talking mental, mental toughness or quote unquote Mm. mental toughness or like, what's the piece that he thought you either have it or you don't. So the context of the question that I posed in the group was, Hey, I know that we're all investing in our athletes as far as the physical side. You guys hire hitting coaches, shooting coaches, pitching coaches, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious, what are you doing to help your athlete with the mental side of the game in particular? How are, what mm-hmm. are you doing to improve their you know, mental skills, concentration, performance, 
everything. Are you listening to the pod? I was really kind of trying to take a poll. Like, are you listening mm-hmm. to the podcast? Have you, you have your athletes read books? And some people were like, the majority were nothing. Like nothing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing at the school. I don't know where to start. Definitely needed. Yeah. Um, but don't know where to go. And then, yeah, the athletic director was like, listen, kids either have it or they don't. And wow. he's like, yeah. So I was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> All righty. Um, right. Yeah, so we said po- podcast that. topic Oof. for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Cause I, I do, I find that really unfortunate. Um, but it also makes sense why it's still a growing area in terms of getting sports psychology professionals into work with athletes, because you do have some people who fit like, why would I bother? Because they either have it or they don't. That's not my problem. It's like just mm-hmm. how it is. But it, it that's not true for anything. It's never, right. we can always learn. We can always grow, but we can't do either of those things without the resources to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm so glad that we're putting this information out there, this insight out there, um, because more people need to hear it. Now, it's not to say that that person in particular will ever change his mind. And you know what? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my hope is that, you know, other parents hear these things and athletes in particular hear these things like, oh, so I'm not a lost cause. Cause that's what I would think if someone said that to me, oh, I'm a lost cause. This is never going to change. I'm never going to be able to deal with my performance anxiety, or I'm never going to feel good about myself unless I'm winning or whatever. Um, so on that note, let's talk about that piece, which is confidence is not designed to be dependent on our performance. It's just not. Confidence is believing in yourself. And we do not have to be performing well to believe in ourselves. But there's so many things that we are taught over time. Sometimes it's directly and other times it's a bit more indirect. Like, for example, you have an athlete. Um, I just think automatically think of swimming is obviously because being a swimmer, that's all I ever think about. However, <laughs> at the same time, it's a really clear picture to me. You know, you you finish a race and you do really well and everybody's clapping. Everyone's cheering for you. You get lots of pats on the back. Oh, my gosh, that was amazing. <clears throat> Great job. Blah, 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 right. So that tells you. Uh, directly but also at the same time a bit subconsciously oh great I did really well so I deserve to feel really good about myself and I deserve to be celebrated okay so step one step two the opposite happens you don't swim very well I've gotten a pity clap before I was like 10 years old it was terrible you know the difference you can hear the difference so I'll say that much about that part but then at the same time you know, you get, you get out of the water, you go over to your coach, the conversation with your coach is different, right? It's more so focused on what you need to do better next time. The tone is usually a little bit different. Um, You're probably getting a couple, if not a lot less pats on the back. Some people may not even really talk to you because they don't really know how to talk about it. Or you'll get the like good jobs. And you're just like, that wasn't like, why are you saying that to me? (laughs) Because that's not even relevant. Um, So again, that teaches you yeah, when I don't do well, everything changes. The tone is different. I'm not being really celebrated. I don't feel very good about myself in this moment. Um, So there you have it. And that happens again and again. 
We also tie this in different ways too, but that's just the most prime example of how we learn that, yeah, I feel good about myself when I do well and I feel terrible when I don't. Um, But really we can build confidence from the inside out because it is just believing in you, believing in the things that you have control over as well. Um, And there's just some things AKA winning that we can't 100% control. So why is our self-worth and confidence Mm. dependent on something we can't control? Yeah. No, that's really, really good. And that kind of, that, when you were talking about that, that just kind of brought me to the, to the point of mind of like coaching based on effort in those Mm -hmm. situations, as opposed to like, I'm a, I'm a youth soccer coach. I have a 10 year old daughter play youth soccer and you know, they're learning at this stage, right? And mm-hmm. it's rec soccer. So it's yes. not really competitive. So I found myself really coaching from a perspective of, Hey, great effort. I can see that you've really mm-hmm. been working on, on this, even when the, you know, the results, mm-hmm. not what we want. It's sure. I found myself going that way as opposed to good, bad, and different. Cause the majority of it right now is yeah. bad. Yeah. Right. And I love that because you know what, too, the, the moral value, like it's the same. I, I, I don't want to bring food too much into it because it's not super relevant, but like food isn't supposed to have a moral value either. It's not supposed to be good or bad. Like, oh, if I eat this quote unquote cookie, which is quote unquote bad. Now I feel yeah. bad about myself. It's just yeah. a cookie. It's okay. It's just a cookie. So it's the same thing here. It's like, let's, if we can take the moral value out of it, we're less likely to have kids and then we're less likely to also have adults who now see themselves as either good or bad because of how they compete. When in reality, they're a human who is going into a sporting event and regardless of what happens, they don't have to leave that thinking any differently about themselves. Yeah, They can take it as a lesson, whether, you know, depending on the way actually it's always a lesson even the good right right i know i just use good even though i said we're not going to use that however yeah whatever um you know even if you win we have lessons that we take and if you lose we have lessons that we take um failure is another thing that i like to help people reframe so may as well say it here you know a loss could be seen as a failure or not going a best time could be seen as a failure okay fail first attempt in learning mm-hmm. learn from it what are you going to do next? Right? How is, what is that going to teach you? Um, versus, oh, I'm terrible because I failed or I didn't win, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those are a couple insights that I think is really, really essential so that we, way we aren't having, again, full-blown adults in life after sport continuing to feel so terrible about themselves when something doesn't go well, um, especially the things that aren't fully within their control. But even when they are, we can still love ourselves. We can still celebrate ourselves when things aren't you know, going as well as we may have hoped. I, I have one more question to ask you. Sorry, David. Yeah. Nope. Um, but it it really, whenever you were speaking, it really kind of popped up um, into a, a, a parallel of my career and I, I coach people uh, in sales right so we talk about reframing mm-hmm. a 
a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, do you have like some, some steps or some advice that you could give someone to reframe and kind of change their paradigm um, or some mm-hmm. tools that they can do on a daily basis whenever they are faced with maybe things didn't go the way that they wanted to, like instead of taking it and, and owning it and identifying that with that failure, um, what are some steps that maybe, or a process that you could give to athletes and just people in general about mm-hmm. reframing their perspective around failure? and Sure. Um, so one, this is one thing I actually do have a bit of a process for, and I'm not going to spoil too much of it, just sure. saying, but I'm going to drop a little <laughs> bit of it. Um, and that is because I actually do have an online course for this first part of your question and okay. because I, I think reframing reframing is a part of it. It's in there, yes. but overall I have a four step. I think it's four, maybe four, four or five. I'm forgetting now. Of course that's okay. Um, <laughs> process called the process of unbecoming. I really resonate with this word of, I don't even know if it's a real word, but it's fine. Unbecoming the conditioned beliefs that we've learned over our lifetime. This is a great example of one that we have been conditioned to believe our confidence is dependent on performance. So we can mm-hmm. unlearn that. That is our job. That's our responsibility. It's not our fault or responsibility that we learned it, right? Or we were taught it, but it is now, once we recognize it, that it's not serving us to unlearn it. So the process of unbecoming, I have a, a short five-day self-paced course for people. Um, technically, it's for former athletes, but you know what? Honestly, everyone has an inner athlete. If they want to identify with that, you know, it's fine. Um, yeah. And there's th- certain things that we can unlearn through the process of, you know, bringing awareness to those beliefs, sometimes where they came from, sometimes it doesn't really matter, right? But if it's helpful to people, we can pay attention to where that came from, just to have some awareness and compassion around it. Um, and then we, we do rewrite those beliefs to be, we tune in, actually, so presence and mindfulness is a big part of this process. So actually to answer one of those questions, yes, practicing um, mindfulness in numerous ways is really valuable because you're able to tune in to how you really feel about something or think about something in the moment. And it's less going to be based on past experiences or worries about the future. It's like, what am I thinking and feeling right now, right here where my feet are? So mindfulness practices are pretty big Um, whether that is a seated meditation, which is absolutely great. I love that, but it's not for everybody. Um, breath work. So breathing exercises are something that I use in this course and just with all of my clients. Um, so certain patterned breathing exercises to really bring the nervous system, um, back into, you know, parasympathetic to back to baseline basically. So we can push some of that stuff out we really can. We can push the energy of some of this stuff out through the breath. It's really powerful. Um, so those would be the two, like the top two I'd offer yeah. for people to, to work on presence with their truest self, most authentic beliefs. Um, trying to think if there was anything else. And then, yeah, re- again, reframing those beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Going from this is my old past self-conditioned belief to this is my present authentic self-belief, rewriting it, and then starting to work with that over time. Um, It takes practice. It takes reminders of those. 
you're going to catch yourself, you know, aligning with the past beliefs because it's a habit. We're breaking yeah. habits here. Yeah. Right. So, but those two things, the mindfulness practices slash meditation, um, and then the breathing exercises, plus the, the reframing of the actual belief, uh, would be my go-to tools. Gotcha. Awesome. Super powerful stuff. I mean, I, I think that what I take from this is just anyone listening is that you, you're not stuck with your current belief system and you're not stuck with your current level of confidence and, um, just becoming aware of the inner dialogue is a, obviously awareness is the first step, but, um, like as our topic covered is you're not stuck, not having the mental tools to, to get through whatever it is you're Mm -hmm. facing. So it's it's super powerful stuff. Correct. We're never stuck. We can be told that we are, or again, that classic phrase of, Oh, it is what it is. Is it though? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Who told you that? Because then that's the whole point. It's like somebody told you that and you do not have to abide by that if you don't want to. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's, it's easy to make these changes. It's not. And that's why I never recommend to people to try to do these things alone. You know, as an athlete, you're never alone. You've always had a coach. Always. The day I realized that, I'm like, ha! Huh! Of course. Yeah. <laughs> right. Always. I never, yeah. ever would have been swimming competitively if I didn't have a coach or teammates around me. I, you know, that's just how it is. So why do we expect ourselves when we, especially just considering people outside of sport, um, to do that alone? There's no reason for it. It's having support is an amazing thing especially when you are trying to unlearn things that you've lived your life by. That's a big deal. Um, so it can feel a little bit alarming, right? The, the, the mind is kind of the mind and the ego is like, what are you doing? Why are we changing this? No, this is what we do. Okay. You know, so it takes practice and, and feeling safe and supported to look that in the face and say, no, thank you. No more. Um, so that is, that is something that I do with my one-on-one clients. It's what I do with my, um, in, in the course that I offer because that support is essential and that connection while going through it, such a change is just so valuable. Yep. I think one of the, the biggest things that, that one of my moments we're hearing about coaching was even the greatest coaches in the world have coaches. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it helps to hear that because I think it opens people up more to, to the whole aspect of getting the support and the, and the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. I'll sit here right now and tell you I've <laughs> had a coach for the last several years and it's yeah. been life changing. And I just recently signed up with a, a new therapist because yay, therapy is amazing. Um, it's important. Right. And especially when you are in a helping profession, um, for any profession, but a helping profession, working face-to-face with other people, right? Where you have a potential for really taking on the experiences, the energy, the emotions of others. Like I said, highly sensitive person. It's very easy. It doesn't, it takes one second for me to, to pick up something from somebody. Yeah. Um, so those, you know, my self-care practices are super important and I don't always stick to them. And when I have support though, from a coach, from a therapist, it's helpful to me. It, the, it, just the energy of it, um, of the relationship I have with them is, 
some really powerful accountability uh, that I'm not ashamed to say I want or need. I love that. I love having that support. Um, so my hope is for more people to, in their own time, come to a place where they're like, yeah, good. This doesn't mean that I'm broken and need to be fixed. No, you are not. We are, we, none of us are broken and none of us need to be fixed. Yeah. You just deserve support. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, look, I, I think we covered some, some great uh, topics today and, uh, and I, I really hope that it helps you know as many people as possible. And um, one thing before we wrap up Madeline was please feel free to just let the audience know where they can find you. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I think you mentioned my Instagram before. That's definitely the best place to see uh, things that I post or new offerings or things like that. So it's at mindwisementor. Um, and yeah, I'm going to say that's actually the best place. So follow me there. Um, you can always send me a message uh, or I'll, my email as well as Madeline at mindwisementor.com. If there's any direct questions you have about that. I have my classic link in bio, you know, like we all do (laughs) on my Instagram with all the fun links, um, whether it's about human design, because I do actually do human design work with people that I don't work with in a program. So I do one offs with that if you're interested. Um, And then I have my one on one program and also the link to my course details as well. Awesome. 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 Thank you. Thank you again so much for joining us today. Yeah. You're so welcome. Yeah. This was really, really great. Awesome. Great. Cool. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch, but uh, Billy, anything, any last words from you? No, just super grateful that you joined us. Like um, it was a really, really good conversation and best of luck to everything that you're going to accomplish in the future and all the people you're going to help. So yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so Absolutely. much. Yeah. This was great. Thanks again for joining the unlocked athlete today. If you liked what you heard and felt, please subscribe. We would love the opportunity to continue to inspire you on your athletic journey. Also, if you feel pulled to do so, please share with a fellow athlete. We can all unlock the next level together. Until next time, take care of that mind.